talk to you about today, specifically with regard to the opportunities that God sets before us. I'm going to be reading from the book of Numbers in chapters 13 and 14, not all of both chapters, but portions of them. And in fact, I'm going to start all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, and you don't need to turn there. I'm going to synopsize a portion of scripture for you there under the heading of what God promises God gives. When it comes to the the business of seizing the opportunities that God sets before us, the thing that God promised, if God makes a promise, God is good on his promise. God will always come through with the things that he promises. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And in verse 4, he says, it says, So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, he took his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and all the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And in verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. In Numbers chapter 13, in verses 1 and 2, we find that occasion. It says there that the Lord said to Moses, this is after the, the people have come out of their captivity in Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. This is the promise fulfilled. It was a promise God made some time ago, but now we see here the promise fulfilled. What God promises, God gives, and you can always count on that. You may be saying to yourself, so how does this apply to me? And what I want to suggest to you this morning is, in John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full. I came so that you can have real, eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. I came that you might have life in all of its fullness. That's why I came. That's why I call you into relationship with me. That's why I call you to follow me. And for some of you, you're looking at your life, what you're in the very midst of right now, and you're thinking to yourself, life doesn't seem very full. I've got a promise here that God made to me, but right now, life, quite frankly, seems kind of tough. There are obstacles in front of me. There are difficulties that I'm encountering that just, they don't add to the fullness of life. They just suck the very fullness out of life. You may be wondering, how is this promise fulfilled to me? Where's, 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 the, where's the fullness of this promise? Where's, where does God come through with this fullness of life business? Well, I, I want you to know first and foremost, God gives what he promises. He promises full life. God's going to give full life. But what God gives, he gives in his time. It doesn't always come exactly at the moment that we want it to come. God promised to give Abraham the land of Canaan. Go to the land that I'm going to give you. But Abraham never possessed the land 
in its fullness. He and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob and their children, merely lived in the land. They lived amongst the foreign people that possessed that land. It was never their land. In fact, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, God told Abraham, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and they'll be mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. And in verse 18, God told Abraham, to your descendants, I give this land. It would be over 500 years before the promise of God was fulfilled for the descendants of Abraham. But finally the time arrived, and God delivered his people from the bondage of their slavery in Egypt to give them a national identity as a sovereign state. This was the time as they exited Egypt that he was going to deliver the land into their hands. And in Numbers 13, 1 and 2 that we just looked at, God tells Moses to, to send some men in to explore the land. He wants the explorers to bring back a report so that the people can decide whether they will choose to accept what God offers them, whether they'll seize upon the opportunity God sets before them, or whether they will choose to reject what God is offering. See, you may have to wait to see God's opportunity. We want the greater, more abundant life now. We want that life that's going to be better than anything we've ever dreamed of to take place right now. But we grow impatient sometimes when, when things don't come our way, when it's difficulties that seem to keep cropping up, these obstacles that seem to be insurmountable. We, we want that fullness of life now, and God often says, wait, be patient. The time is not right. It's not, it's not time just yet. Indeed, some of these obstacles and difficulties that you're encountering are things that I'm allowing into your life because I'm refining your character. I have the fullness of life that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you life that you've never dreamed of before, but there's some refinement that needs to take place. There's some training that you need to go through before you possess that fullness of life. And these obstacles and these difficulties that you feel like are draining life right now are the very things that I'm using to refine your character. I need you to be patient. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you what I promised to you, but I'm going to give it to you in my time, which will be the, the perfect time. God gives what he promises, but he gives it in his own timing. And what God gives is not always exactly what we want. You know, we have this idea when... When, when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness, that you might have life to the full, that you might have life like you never dreamed about before, we have all kinds of images that just race through our minds about what the fullness of life is really going to look like. I mean, it's health and vitality and purpose and resource and just it's all of those things that we feel like we need for life to be full. And that's not always what God gives, that exact thing that we have in our mind about what fullness of life looks like. 
Moses instructed the explorers in verses 17 through 20 of chapter 13 in Numbers. It says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country and see what the land's like and whether the people who live there, whether they're strong or whether they're weak, whether they're few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land so that we can see what that looks like. Verse 25 tells us that after exploring the land for 40 days, they return with their report. And I'm reading from the the message, a, a, a paraphrase here. They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told the story of their trip. We went to the land to which you sent us, and oh, (laughs) it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit we brought back. The only thing is that the, the people who live there are fierce, and their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw descendants of the giant Anak. Amalekites are spread out in the Negev, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites hold the hill country, and the Canaanites, they're established on the Mediterranean Sea and all along the Jordan. Caleb interrupted and called for silence before Moses and said, let's go and take the land right now. We can do it. But the others said, we can't attack these people. They're way stronger than we are. And they spread scary rumors amongst the people of Israel. They said, we scouted out the land from one end to the other. It is a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. Why, we even saw the Nephilim giants. Alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers. And they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. The Israelites had complained throughout their journey in the wilderness. They complained of a lack of water. They complained because they were sick of eating the man and the quail, the food that God provided. I'm I'm sure they complained of the dust and the heat and the lack of grass and shade trees. While the people wanted the land of Canaan, they wanted out of the wilderness, they wanted the fruitful land and the fruit it produced They didn't want the giants, and they didn't want the fierce people who lived in the huge, well-fortified cities. They were afraid the cost was too great. Often, even though God says, I'll give you something good, from our perspective, the difficulties associated with what God offers far outweigh any benefits we might receive. Perfect example is in the opportunity God provides us to to be a part of his work by sacrificing our time, our our money, our convenience, our comfort, our reputation. We, We want relationship with God. We want the guarantee of the promised land of heaven, but we're not fully prepared 
to follow Jesus now, wherever he leads, because the cost seems high. We all want to be liked. We all want to be thought of well. For all of us, the call of God is to be identified with him clearly in everything that we do. That among our, our family and our friends, it would be clear to them that we are followers of Christ. That those closest to us, of all people, would never doubt where our first allegiance lies. That we would be quick to share what Jesus means to us, the difference that he has made in our life. This is what God calls us to. But if you've chosen not to follow Jesus, if these things feel like the cost is, is too great, this close identification with Jesus Christ, this, this quick word on our lips of the name of Jesus and the difference that he's made in our life, if you've chosen not to follow Jesus, to just blend in with the world, if your friends see no difference between you and themselves, if you live and you act and you speak exactly as they do, you embrace the same values that they do, you go to church, you say you believe in Jesus, but your belief makes no real difference in how you live, then you're just like the Israelites that stood on the edge of the promised land but refused to go in and take it because they were afraid. Afraid God wouldn't give them the strength. Afraid God wouldn't sustain them in the midst of it. That God wouldn't provide victory for them. God was prepared to give the land of Canaan to his people. He had promised it to them. It was a rich land. The grapes were so large it took two men just to carry a single cluster of grapes. The soil was fertile was everything God had promised. But the Israelites were intimidated by the people who lived there. In chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, it says, That night all the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert... Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We should depose Moses, the God-appointed leader that had led them out of Egypt in their bondage, we should depose Moses and elect another leader and turn around and go back to Egypt. The people were so discouraged by what they had heard, they were willing to forsake the land that God had promised in return, not to the desert, but to the bondage and the slavery of Egypt. They were willing to return to that former life that they so despised. God had promised the people a land of their own, but the price was too high, ultimately. What God gives, he will not force on you. He gives what he promises. He'll give it in his time. It's not exactly what we're looking for all the time. But if that's the case, man, if you don't like the way it looks, 
God won't force the opportunity on you. He, he won't force you to seize it. He won't force you to take it. He didn't force the Israelites to cross the Jordan and seize the land. He allowed them a, a generation to think about it. I want to suggest to you that the New Testament example of this begins at the point of salvation. There are a great many opportunities that God sets before us, but that very first one is the opportunity for relationship with him. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the opportunity that God sets before mankind is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He, he offers it as a, as a free gift, a free opportunity that we can take or we can leave. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, he puts that opportunity out there for anybody that's willing to, to lay hold of it, whosoever would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ would know that eternal life. They'd never perish, but have eternal life. But God doesn't force that opportunity, doesn't force that gift on you. He's promised salvation. He will give salvation, but only to those that are willing to receive that gift, only to those that will seize upon the opportunity by believing in Jesus Christ. And, and, and when they believe, when they believe, those that choose to seize the opportunity, they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Then they begin to follow Jesus, just as Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John. Follow me. They had a choice to make. They could stay with their nets and boats, and they could continue in their vocation as fishermen, or they could abandon their past and follow Jesus, making him the first priority in their lives. But it's not something God forced on them. They dropped their nets and they followed him. Seizing God's opportunity requires that we trust God, ultimately. That we trust what he gives us. That we trust what he gives us is, is good. That we trust the time in which he gives us. If, if, if there's a fullness of life coming our way and we're, we're, we're not sensing it now, that we, we trust God's going to bring that fullness to us. In his time, that we seize the opportunity when God offers it. We wait patiently until he does. That we trust even if it's not exactly what we were looking for. That we, we, we take it anyway. We seize it anyway. Finally, the last thing I, I want to share with you, the, the thought I want you to walk out with, is the consequences of rejecting the opportunities that God sets before us. You see, even though Joshua and Caleb, two of the explorers, pleaded with the people not to rebel against God and reject his offer, Numbers 14.10 tells us the whole assembly talked about stoning them. The Israelites were preparing to murder Moses and Aaron and probably Joshua and Caleb as well. They were going to kill anyone that got in their way. They were intent on turning their backs on the opportunity that God presented them and heading back to the slavery of Egypt. They had become so accustomed to being a slave nation. That's who they were. That was their national identity. It had been for hundreds of years. They were a slave nation, and they had become so accustomed to seeing themselves as a slave nation that they didn't trust God that he could change them, that God could make of this slave nation a nation of warriors that could go in and take this land and seize the opportunity and make the land their own. Numbers 
chapter 14, verse 26. And again, I read from the message. God says, I've had my fill of complaints from these grumbling Israelites. Tell them as I live, God's decree. Here's what I'm going to do. Your corpses are going to litter the wilderness. Every one of you, 20 years and older, who has counted in the census this whole generation of grumblers and grousers, not one of you will enter the land and make your home there. God said, you don't trust me to give you the land? You won't go in? Then you can stay where you are, wander in the desert for the next 40 years. The consequences of rejecting God's opportunity is that God allows you to stay right where you are. If, if you want to reject the opportunity God sets before you, he won't force it on you, but you'll remain right where you are. If you're unsaved and you reject God's salvation, then that's exactly where you'll remain, unsaved for all eternity. If you're a believer and you have trusted God for salvation and eternity, and God says, I have work for you, I have an opportunity for you to be a part of what, what I'm doing, an opportunity to experience the, the fullness that comes with being a part of the very work of God. And you say, no, I don't have the time, the work is too hard, it's too inconvenient, it's too costly, it's too uncomfortable, then God will say, fine, I won't force it on you, but the consequences of your choice is that you will remain exactly where you are, denying yourself the opportunity to be a part of God's work, denying yourself the opportunity to experience the fullness of working with God. This is where the fullness of life resides, is God sets before us the opportunity to be a part of his work. If we say no, then we say no to John 10, 10. We say no to the fullness of life. For the adult Israelites, they sacrificed their opportunity to see the promised land. And God didn't destroy them. He talked about it with Moses. And Moses begged him, don't. God didn't destroy them. He didn't abandon them. He didn't even disown them. In fact, he continued to lead them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as they made their way around the wilderness for the next 40 years. But all they ever knew besides the slavery of Egypt was the barrenness of the wilderness. God has set opportunity before you. He has set opportunity for all of us. For some of you, that opportunity is to embrace faith, to publicly confess Jesus as Lord and Savior for the first time, to be identified with him, to follow him in baptism. It's an opportunity that awaits your seizure, and it's, it's, it's the key, it's the doorway to the fullness of life. Apart from that, you'll never know the fullness of life that God intended. You may know some degree of fullness of life, in this world, a temporary fullness of, of resource and purpose here in some job in which you're engaged, purpose and, and fullness in relationships that you have in this world. But those are temporary things. They do not last. 
not eternally. Without Jesus Christ, you deny yourself the true fullness of life. It's an opportunity that awaits seizure for some, that they would trust Jesus, that they would become followers of Jesus. For some, God has set opportunity for ministry in front of you. You are weighing and measuring that cost-benefit equation as you look at the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. You're considering the question, is the opportunity really in my best interest? Know this, God does not place opportunities in front of you that are not in your best interest. It is a church, I sense deeply that God is placing opportunity for us, greater opportunity to join him in the building of his kingdom, more missions, a broader mission outreach than, than we've ever seen in the past, more ministry to be engaged in than we've ever engaged in in the past, more outreach, more sharing of the greatness of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, more love for the lost and the, the hurting and the needy and all the marginalized people in this world. I long for us as a body of Christ to be ones who refuse to be intimidated by the giants we see, by the obstacles which seem insurmountable, the difficulties which intimidate us, hold us back at times from embracing that thing that God has set before us. God says to all of us, will you seize the opportunity I set before you? Will you trust me? Will you trust that I have your best interest at heart? Will you move out of your comfort zone and, and see the Lord at work? Will you seize the fullness of life that I have before you and begin to live that out? No matter what you see, no matter what comes your way, trust me that I know what I'm doing. Walk not by sight, but walk by faith in me. Will you do that? It's, it's time to seize God's opportunity this morning. Whatever that opportunity is, he's setting before you. Let me ask all of you to stand. Once again, I, I know what a group of people this number gathers together statistically. There's always one among us, usually more than one among us, that has not yet determined to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and for you, I want you to know this morning that we would welcome the opportunity to take up that discussion with you, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ and how you can begin to pursue the fullness of life that God intends for you. We have counselors here that will counsel with you today. So if you've never before determined to put your faith and trust in Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, today would be a great day to begin that journey of following after him, that pursuit of the opportunity for full life. And for the rest of you, I know in 35 years of walking with Christ, 
He has never ceased to set opportunity in front of you. I mean, one opportunity is seized, and there's another one set before you. The opportunities seemingly always increasing in that intimidation factor. You seize one, and you think, okay, I finally got where God wants me to be. And lo and behold, God goes, here, try this on for size. And yet in seizing those things that God sets before us, we find the fullness of knowing we're following after Jesus. We're engaged in the kingdom work, the fullness of life. Knowing the Savior's pleasure because you've chosen willingly to follow him. If you're struggling with the seizure of some opportunity, man, let this be the moment that you cease to struggle and you simply acknowledge to God, Lord, I will do the thing that you've set before me. I will lay hold of it, confident, trusting in you to give me everything I need to sustain me through it. Let God know your heart today. You respond to him. He's here.
you've set before us, grateful for the the cross and grateful for the Savior and grateful for the the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God, grateful that you you allow us to, to follow after you, that you allow us to walk with you, that you allow us to be a part of your work in this world today. Father, grateful that you you give us the very fullness of life when we choose Father, not always a, an ease of life as, as the world would describe it, the world would long for it, but Father, the fullness of life eternal, knowing that there is a kingdom that's been established and a king that will rule forever, Father, our king, King Jesus. Lord, as we give back to you this morning, we recognize once again there are some that will place a, a material gift in an offering plate, and many others that are given in many other ways. But we want this time of giving to be true spiritual worship. So, God, we know the gift that's called for today is to seize the opportunity that we see directly in front of us. Father, that, that next thing that, that you require.
require of us, that you want us to do, that thing that we're looking at that we're not sure if we can do it or not. Father, bring us to the realization that we can't. We can't do it. But that you can do the things that we cannot. All we need to do is walk by faith. Lord, as we give today, may you see a people giving themselves to you full and complete, seizing upon every opportunity that you set before us, desiring to honor you highly. True spiritual worshipers, let our giving be true spiritual worship today. We pray it in Jesus' name.